0: okay this past Shabbat the Parsha was Korach that begins in the 16th chapter of the book of Numbers and this of course is like a it's a culmination it's the, the zenith of the rebellion that was going on during this time first we had the sin of the spies and then all of the people are really depressed and um, then we have Korach and this is where we really see the struggle between good and evil the struggle against rebellion is in this Parsha and it's within the house of Israel but this struggle is going on there is a lot of discontent and so it's like everything reaches ahead and blows up so if everybody wants to follow along I'm going to start out with uh, with reading straight from the Parsha Korach son of Izhar son of Kohat son of Levi separated himself with Datan and Aviram sons of Eliav and On, son of Pelot, the offspring of Reuben. They stood before Moshe with 250 men from the children of Israel, leaders of the assembly, those assembled for meeting, men of renown. They gathered together against Moshe and against Aaron and said to them, It is too much for you, for the entire assembly, all of them, are holy, and Hashem is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves over the congregation of Hashem? Moshe heard and fell on his face. He spoke to Korah and to his entire assembly, saying, In the morning Hashem will make known to the one who is his own and the Holy One, and he will draw him close to himself, and whoever he will choose, he will draw close to himself. Do this take for yourselves fire pans, Korah and his entire assembly. And put fire in them and place incense upon them before Hashem tomorrow. Then the man whom Hashem will choose, he is the Holy One. It is too much for you, O offspring of Levi. Moshe said to Korach, Hear now, O offspring of Levi. It is not enough for you that God of Israel has separated you from the assembly of Israel to draw you near to himself, to perform the service of the tabernacle of Hashem and to stand before the assembly to minister to them and he drew, drew you near and all your brethren the offspring of Levi with you yet you seek priesthood as well therefore you and your entire assembly are joining together and are against Hashem and as for Aaron what is he that you protest against him so first we have Korah and his cohorts the Tan and Aviram who are always causing trouble going to Moshe and Aaron to complain. Now they've gotten a group of people behind them, especially Korok, he's a real charismatic speaker. He can elicit people's emotions and he can say, This isn't fair. I would do so much better if I were the leader and, the, and they listen to him. So Korach, because he is upset, that he did not get a place of honor. He didn't get a, a, a place that would be um, like Aaron's place, high. So he tells all of these people, look what Moshe does. He chooses his brother. He chooses his brother's sons. And he makes the pious places for his brother and his brother's sons. And he chooses himself as leader. He's the king. And his brother is the priest. So he's just. Really stirring up trouble. And not only him. But. Midrash tells us. That his wife. Was encouraging him to do this. Remember when we were talking about. um, Let's see here. When the. Levites were consecrated just a second let's go back here and see when that was the consecration of the Levites okay that was in the Parsha Bahaalotha. now this is where Aaron of course is lifting them up, and he's waving each one of the Levites and consecrating each one of the Levites to Hashem. And each one of the Levites had to be completely shaven. He had to have all of his hair shaven. He was shaven, and then he's consecrated to Hashem. Well, the Midrash says that when Korach went home, and he's all shaven like this, his wife said to him, look at how ridiculous you look and this was just something Moshe concocted so that you would look cr- silly it's all because of you and and he answered her and said but Aaron did the same to his own sons and she said it doesn't mean anything it was all concocted just to make you look ridiculous but see this is how it works when people's ego are right out there they're not thinking logically Everything is about themselves. So, what she's saying is that all of these Levites that Aaron lifted up, that were shaven and Aaron lifted up to make a wave offering before Hashem was all a ploy just to make Korach look ridiculous. And just think how ridiculous that is. It has to be somebody with a colossal ego who would even listen to something so ridiculous but this was Korah. this was his character this was his nature that everything was about him so he was very ripe because of his ego very ripe for rebellion for leading a rebellion and he thought who better to be the priest than himself and this is where we have to be very very careful as we go through the Parsha we're going to see how he was very successful in his speaking against Moshe. That the people did not say. Stop it. That is not right. That's not correct. And we're not going to listen to you speak against Moshe. Moshe was chosen by Hashem. As you go through the Parsha. You realize this didn't happen. The people are listening. And they're standing back and watching. What's going to happen? Remember. They listened to the spies. Caused a lot of Trouble. And now they're listening to Korach. And Korach is going to each one and he's saying just the right thing. And you notice that you have here in the very first verse talks about Tatan and Aviram. and On, and they're all from the tribe of Levi. I mean, uh, Ruvain, I'm sorry. Korach was from Levi, and they're all from the tribe of Ruvain. So one of the things that the uh, Midrash says that he was saying to the children of uh, Ruvain is and your forefather was the firstborn and he was he was replaced this isn't fair the firstborn is supposed to be the special one he is the Bahor he is the one who is supposed to be chosen to to represent his family before Hashem that we are supposed to have it be the firstborn and this, this being replaced and having the Levites replace you is all because of Bin Amram. Moshe. All because of of his desire for his own family. He concocted this whole thing. And if you think it was because of the sin of the golden calf, I mean, look, Aaron was just as guilty as any of us. He's the one who made the golden calf. And yet he's the high priest. So he's stirring up trouble like this. And he's casting aspersions and putting that little doubt into everybody's mind and they're going hmm maybe he's right but what he's also doing is really insidious because he is not just casting doubt about Moshe he's also casting doubt on the Torah because he says and who knows if those things that he's saying really come from Hashem maybe he just made the whole thing up so he's planting the seed of doubt just like the spies had done that they planted the seed of doubt in the people's minds about the words of Hashem and who is bringing the words of Hashem because the people said you hear and we will do because they couldn't stand the sound, they couldn't stand to be listening to the voice of Hashem themselves so they said to Moshe, you hear and we'll do it whatever you say, we'll do it And now here comes Korach, and he's going, how do we really know that what he's saying really came from Hashem? How do we really know that? And so he's casting a doubt on Moshe, and he's casting a doubt on the mitzvot that Moshe is teaching. And so essentially, by casting doubt on Moshe, and casting doubt on the mitzvot, he's casting doubt on the Torah itself, and he's casting doubt on Hashem. How do they know this is really from God that this is really what Hashem wants So this is what this is the background here that he's very discontented. he wants power for himself and he's very unhappy to see even though these let me just go to this uh, family tree here and we can trace this. What his relationship is to Moshe. Actually, you see, Lady's son, Kahat, had four sons. Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. Now, Amram had two sons, Moshe and Aaron. And Ishar had three sons, and Korach was the eldest of those three sons. So, Kurach is the first cousin of Moshe and Aaron. They are very closely related. Their fathers were brothers. So, they are very closely related and he is extremely jealous that these, these cousins of his have the blessing of Hashem to do this high service. And he doesn't understand why it shouldn't be him. Why these guys and not me? So he's questioning the choosing of Hashem. Now, when he brings this entire assembly together and he comes to Moshe and Aaron, what is this? He's gone around and he's talked to each one of the families going around to the... which father was older... Um, Amram was older. So Moshe's father was older. So what we see here too. Is that he's appealing to. The democratic spirit. Just like the spies did. He's appealing to democracy. He's appealing to a democratic. Like let's put it to a vote. Only that's not the way a, a Torah Nation operates. How we follow Hashem's directives is not put to a vote. Okay, we'll see you later, Chesed. But that's what Korach is doing. Let's put it to a vote, and so he thinks he's going to impress Moshe with he has all these people behind him, and Moshe is going to maybe buckle, and he can take over. It's an insurrection. But Moshe is trying very hard to speak to them peacefully and, and get them to cease. Just be quiet. So he sends forth a summons to them. Moshe, in the 12th verse, Moshe sent forth to summon Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, We shall not go up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up from a land flowing with milk and honey? And cause us to die in the wilderness. Yet you seek to dominate us. Even to dominate further. Moreover you did not bring us to a land. Flowing with milk and honey. Nor give us a heritage. A field or vineyard. Even if you would gouge out the eyes of those men. We shall not go up. Now let's just stop here. right, For a moment. And you notice. In this 13th verse the Hilul Hashem in this oh blasphemous this is because they say is it not enough that you have brought us up from a land flowing with milk and honey what is this that they're referring to they're talking about Egypt (laughs) they're calling Egypt where they were slaves the land flowing with milk and honey you see how distorted their minds get because of their ego because of their anger because of their malcontent that they're so rebellious that in their minds, the past, the history gets twisted. And they say, we came up out of a land flowing with milk and honey, and you bring us to this wilderness, even though in the wilderness, they're given the Torah. They have the man, the man, which is the food of the angels. They're being provided for absolutely. There is no waste. Their clothes don't wear out. They're living every single day with miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet these guys, Datan and Aviram, are so bitter. They're so egotistical and bitter that in their minds, Egypt was better. It was it was preferable to this existence. Yes, it was a wilderness. But they did not have any fears. Everything, everything that could cause them harm is taken out of the way and everything they need is being provided absolutely they're living under the cloud of Hashem's presence completely protected they're not having to work they're not having to put out any effort but yet Ditan and Aviram at every turn they doubt and they want other people to doubt and they stir trouble there, these two guys when the man fell they went out on Shabbat to see if they could find some and then they tried to plant it so that they could say oh, it did fall on Shabbat he was lying anything they could do to cause the people to doubt Moshe This was this was what these two guys did but Moshe is trying to make peace with them He's trying to gently talk to them. Say, "Come." He summons them. He says, "Come," and they say, "No, we're not coming. We will not go up. We would rather our eyes be gouged out than go up." And they're ca- casting doubts here also on whether they're ever going to inherit the fields that Hashem promised. And yet Moshe is teaching the Torah. He's teaching them how agricultural laws of what they do in the field in the vineyard and so this is something that they're, they're um, mocking here saying you're teaching us about how to take truma take the tithes from the fields and the vineyards you're teaching us about not planting seeds together and all of these things but we're never going to be able to use that because you're not bringing us into the land so they're mocking Moshe and they're mocking the Torah of Hashem the fifteenth verse. This distressed Moshe greatly, and he said to Hashem, Do not turn to their gift offering. I have not taken even a single donkey of theirs, nor have I wronged even one of them. Moshe said to Korah, You and your entire assembly be before Hashem, you, they, and Aaron, tomorrow. Let each man take his firepan, and you shall place incense. On them, and you shall bring them before Hashem, each man with his firepan. Two hundred and fifty firepans, and you and Aaron each man with his firepan. So they took each man his firepan, and they placed fire on them, and put incense on them, and they stood at the entrance of the tent of the meeting with Moshe and Aaron. Korah gathered the entire assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And the glory of Hashem appeared to the entire assembly. So this was the test. This was the test that Hashem told Moshe to give to them. You're going to bring incense before Hashem in front of the tent of the meeting. And we're going to see who is chosen of Hashem and who is not. Now remember that Aaron's sons had already died. His sons Abihu and Nadav had already died for bringing up strange fire. And so, there's already been a precedent set that you have to do things in the proper way. But yet these guys didn't seem to remember this. Now there's an uh, an opinion that these 250 were firstborn of Israel. And they were listening to what Korach said about their firstborn. This was a mixture of people. Each one had his own agenda. Korach's agenda was not the same as Jatan and Aviram's, of course. Uh, they just wanted to cause trouble. Korach wanted power for himself. He wanted to be the priest. He wasn't really wanting the firstborn to take the place of the Levites. He didn't care about that. There was something for him to say to get their, their support. He was a real good politician. So he got their sympathy by appealing to where they were feeling hurt, where they were feeling slighted. But he himself had his own agenda. He wanted to be the priest. So they forgot. There's already been a precedent. At the at the dedication of the sanctuary, there was already a precedent of death or misusing the fires to Hashem and now they're going to bring this incense now verse 20 Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron saying separate yourselves from amid this assembly and I shall destroy them in an instant they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, O oh God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with the entire assembly? So Hashem at this point is ready to just destroy all the people of Israel. But that's So they plead for the people of Israel. But you're going to see something different. Something a little bit different here in the character of Moshe in his behavior. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the assembly, saying, Get yourselves up from all around the dwelling places of Korach, Datan, and Abiram. So Moshe stood up and went to Datan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He spoke to the assembly, saying, Turn away now from near the tents of these wicked men, and do not touch anything of theirs, lest you perish because of all their sins so they got themselves up from near the dwelling of Korach, Datan and Aviram from all around Datan and Aviram went out erect at the entrance of their tents with their wives and children and infants so all this time first he sent, he summoned them and he said we will not go up we are not coming to you and he was trying to summon them to make peace with him and they were still cursing him and they were, they were being rebellious So Moshe then goes with the elders and he warns the people stay away from their tents. Come away and see what Hashem is going to do. Verse 28, Moshe said, Through this shall you know that Hashem sent me to perform all these acts that it was not from my heart. If these die like the death of all men and destiny of all men is visited upon them then it is not Hashem who sent me. But if Hashem will create a phenomenon and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them and all that is theirs and they will descend alive to the pit, then you shall know that these men have provoked Hashem. All of a sudden, Moshe is praying. And Midrash says that his prayer is even stronger than this. That he's saying, Hashem, if you do not punish them for this, then I'm going to agree with them. That what they're saying is true. So all of a sudden Moshe who has all these times prayed for mercy for the people of Israel. Now he is praying for vengeance. And why is this? Why do we see suddenly a slip to another side? That is because these people aren't just attacking Moshe these people are attacking the Torah they're attacking the Torah of Hashem they're speaking Hilul Hashem now you know that when Moshe at the end of the um, at the end of Parshat Shalach that we talked about last week he gave the mitzvah of Tzitzit that there would be a blue, there would be blue threads with the Tzitzit so one of the Midrashim that we're told about Korach's wife she says well that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard what makes one string of tegelit so important of the blue she said I will make you garments of completely blue and just to show then I'm wrong so all of Korach's assembly go out in these garments these uh, of completely blue and Korach says to Moshe So, you say we have to wear fringes with blue on them. Well, I'm wearing a completely blue garment. Do I need the fringe on it? Or is it okay the way it is? Well, of course it wasn't okay the way it is. It doesn't matter about the color of the garment. It's the fringe on the corner. And so Moshe answered him, it's the fringe on the corner. But he knew that Korach was trying to trap him. So this is the way that Korach was not just attacking Moshe he was also attacking the mitzvot that Moshe was teaching and the mitzvah of tzitzit is the mitzvah that brings the Jews to being attached to Hashem to look upon the tzitzit, to remember the 613 mitzvot so Korach is making a mockery through mocking the mitzvah of the tzitzi, he's mocking the idea of remembering the mitzvot, of remembering the Torah at all. And so, this is the reason that Moshe now is not going to pray mar- mercy; he's going to pray extraordinary punishment, something the people of Israel will always remember. Extraordinary punishment that will always be remembered throughout history of this is what happens to the rebels against the Torah. So verse 31, when he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all the people who were with Korach and their entire wealth. They and all that was theirs descended alive to the pit. The earth covered them over, and they were lost from among the congregation. All Israel that was around them fled at their sound, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us. A flame came forth from Hashem and consumed the 250 who were offering the incense. So there were two separate punishments here. Korach and Datan and Aviram were swallowed up by the earth, and the flame came forth and consumed the 250 who were offering this um, incense they were not supposed to offer this incense now this is very similar this flame is very similar to the punishment of Abihu and Nadav the sons of Aaron and that is how these men were consumed so the question now the Midrash says that Korah was also burned; that he was burned and swallowed, because otherwise, people who would think of, of being burned as being the bur- worst thing would say, "Well, he, he was only swallowed by the earth. He was, he didn't get punished with burning." And if he had been among those who had been burned, he, the people who were swallowed by the earth would say, "Well, he was only burned. He wasn't swallowed by the earth." So. In the case of Korach himself, we're told that he was burned and he was swallowed. But they were not killed. They went down into the pit alive. The mouth of Gehenna was either at that place or it was moved by Moshe's prayer to that place. So they went down alive. Now, I'm going to get to this. I'm going to get to that. It's very interesting that you ask that question. We have some beautiful um, Psalms by the sons of Korah. And you can see in the Psalms it says, The sons of Korah, son of Korah, wrote the Psalm. So and there's more about this too it's just really the sons of Korach were not, were not swallowed now the Midrash says that Korach was drawn down into the abyss and his three sons Asir Alkanah and Avi Asaf also rolled downward but they were not drawn down into the depth of Gehenna they miraculously came to rest on a high platform so they were saved from rolling down now, one of the reasons that we're told that Korach had what we call in Hebrew chutzpah, he had the nerve to make this rebellion, was because he knew prophetically that he was going to have a very illustrious descendant. So he felt that he was safe. He would have this illustrious descendant, so he could not possibly be destroyed. He could not possibly fail in his rebellion. He thought because of this that he was assured that he was correct. But he had made a big mistake because he did not need to survive. He had sons who did survive. Hashem preserved his sons because there was a righteousness in them. When Moshe would come to Korach's tent to try to speak to Korach, we're told that his sons knew that their father did not honor Moshe. So, if they stood, they would be dishonoring their father. But if they did not stand, they would be dishonoring the like the Rebbe, the the teacher of the Torah. So, even though they knew they were taking a chance at dishonoring their father, they would stand in the presence of Moshe. So, it showed, and this is Midrash, it showed, though, their heart. It gave them the merit to survive this punishment that came on their father. They were aware of the truth. So, one of the Tehillim that was written by um, by Moshe uh, by Korach's sons is. Psalm 88 4 and 5 and it talks about being drawn down into the pit where it says my life draws nearer to Sheol I am reckoned with those who go down to the pit so they're thanking God that they were saved from this because they were among those that were deserving of being drawn down into that pit And this is where this comes from in a very literal way and in, in chapter um, 49 they write about their their father's fate. Korak was an extremely wealthy man and he was his desires. He, he put a lot of um, emphasis on the importance a lot of importance to wealth. So in chapter 39 uh, 49 we read those who trust in their wealth and boast with the multitude of their riches, None of them can redeem his brother, nor give God a ransom for him. Do not be afraid when someone becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies he shall carry away nothing, nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Man has the option to obtain greatness, and this is by studying Torah and serving Hashem. Yet he understands not, he is likened he is like the beast. That perish and of which no remnant remains and so this is one of the very interesting things about his children his sons now who was this illustrious descendant that Korah knew about but he was and that made him think that he would not be destroyed well this was none other than Samuel the prophet so when Samuel's mother Hannah stood at the tabernacle and prayed for her son to come into the world she stood and cried and prayed for Samuel to come into the world she also prayed that Korach soul be among those who would be raised from the dead in the resurrection of the dead that he would have a chance to come back because he was destined at this point he was destined to be totally erased totally erased the soul totally wiped out but because of the prayer of Hannah she said I would not want to be the cause my son and myself be the cause of Korah's demise of the demise of his soul therefore please Hashem allow him to be among those who rise from the dead in the end of days and we're, and the rabbis say that it was the prayer of Hannah that is what gave him gave his soul the, the chance that, that gave him the hope of being among the, those who will be raised from the dead so it's interesting to think that it was the words of a woman his wife that goaded him into what was his destruction And yet it's the prayer of another woman uh, the mother of his descendant hundreds of years in the future that is responsible for the hope of his soul. Very interesting to look at that. How powerful the words of a woman can be. Now we have um, examples in the Torah of of women who cause their husbands destruction because of their poor advice like Eve unfortunately and like Jezebel Jezebel is another large example of a woman who caused her husband destructive destruction and another one was the wife of Haman that she advised him to build these huge gallows to hang Mordechai on and he, he was because of his ego he, oh that sounds like a good idea and he ended up hanging on those gallows himself. So it's very, it causes us to hesitate. It gives us pause about the power a woman has in her words. So here it's very good to know that there are positive examples as well. And Hannah is one of the positive examples. That her prayers were so powerful that she drew down the soul of her son into the world which was this tremendous soul after she had not had children for so many years she drew this tremendous soul into the world she prayed that he would be this prophet she spoke his character she helped to form the soul by her words Hashem gave her this this, um, knowledge in order for her to formulate that prayer well, in a way that's really true because women have a um, have a real power spiritually. Women aren't weak when it comes to spiritual things. Women are very, very powerful spiritually. It seems as though this woman is a spiritual leader and men are just here for who knows what. Well, that's not really true, I said. Um It... it I, and I hope you're not getting that, the idea that I'm saying that. Because I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Men are very important. Men are supposed to be the leaders. But I'm just saying that many times people get the wrong idea about women and their place in the world. And I'm just wanting to show how women are very powerful. Spiritually, women are very powerful. The woman was the very last. Of the creation, and she has. She's a little bit different from men. Women are a little bit different from men, and that's why, if women are are wicked, I mean, they can be a lot more wicked than men. I mean, is the the deviousness there that is is very frightening. But on another on the other side, women have a potential for real greatness. Um, a spiritual greatness, and that's why men have these three times a day that they're, they're supposed to pray. They are supposed to be the ones who carry out the ritual because there is a natural tendency within women to be able to do it without having it laid out, and it's it's a very sad thing when women don't aren't aware of that within themselves and aren't awake to that because they do have uh, an ability for spiritual greatness but it can go either way it can go spiritually wicked or spiritually holy and there was another story about a woman in the Midrash on this we talked about um, one of the People in Korach's camp. It's also in the very first uh, verse of our Parsha. Oh, and son of Pelet. He's mentioned one time. But he was also an important person. But somehow he did not show up. When it was all, when it was time for everything to happen. He didn't show up. So, one of the followers of Korach was sent to get him because he he just wasn't there and why was he not there because his wife realized this was a terrible thing and she kept telling him I think this is really a mistake and I think that you have to really be careful of Korok and what he's saying but he he said well what can I do I gave my word I said I would be a party, part of this uh, party and so I have to do it and what she do? What did she do? She mixed a very strong drink that she gave to him and it put him to sleep. So then she and her daughter uncovered their hair. Now a uh, married woman for sure, is supposed to always have her hair covered in public, and they sat at the entrance of their tent. And they were combing their hair. Just a second. They were sitting out there at, outside the tent, combing their hair, and when the messenger came to summon On, he saw these women with her hair uncovered, and so he looked away and he couldn't approach. She was because there was still a holiness about these people. They were still part of this holy congregation, and so he looked away. So then, when the earth started opening, we're told that the bed on which On was sleeping started to slip toward this abyss. And On's wife grabbed the edge of it and she prayed, Master of the universe, On has disassociated himself from Korach's clique. He swore by your great name, he is not Korach's follower. If he ever transgresses his word, you can then punish him. So, he was spared. And afterwards, his wife told him, now you go to Moshe and you apologize. But he was too embarrassed. So what did she do? She went to Moshe herself. And she was crying, and bitterly, bitterly crying, and telling him what had happened. And as soon as Moshe heard this, he went to On's tent and he told him come out may the almighty forgive you and for the rest of his life On was in constant Shuba, just like Reuven his forefather had been in constant Shuba after the sale of Yosef so he had inherited from his forefather the thing that was the, the, the spark the beautiful beautiful characteristic of the tribe of Uruvain. On also displayed this. Being able to make Tshuva completely and he recognized that he was a um, his life was spared by a miracle. So these, these ideas cause us to think about um, a verse from Proverbs. And this verse is a wise woman builds her house this is Proverbs 9.1 But the wicked woman demolishes it with her own hands and so we've talked about the wise women and how they build their house, how they support their husbands, how they support them in a positive way, bringing them to Hashem and they see things clearly. But a wicked woman demolishes her house by encouraging her husband to be evil and to be rebellious and to be egotistical. By building his ego. Encouraging him to be arrogant. And we see these examples. And this is one of the powers. This is a tremendous power the woman has. When we were talking about. Um, well I don't know if all of you were in the class at that time. Um, when we were talking about. How Hava Eve was created. She was called Hava. And one of the reasons that she's called Hava instead of Paya is that she has a power of speech. She is not only called Mother of All Living, she is called Mother of All Speakers, Talkers. She had a power of speech that exceeded Adam's. You notice how women have a tendency to talk more than men do, as a rule, not always. I mean, you see some men who are very, very talkative, and you see some women who are very, very quiet. But as a rule, women are usually more talkative than men. So this is an attribute that can be used for good or for evil, as we see. And if a woman is a a righteous woman, many times this is the very area this is the very area that a woman needs to rectify in herself. Is her speech. A woman, even more than man, has a tendency toward Lashon Hora. Has a tendency for gossip. So this is an area that is a real pitfall for a woman. So a woman can be very, very high and pray these wonderful, wonderful prayers. And bring life into the world like Hannah, literally Drew down the life of Samuel into the world. Leah drew down life with her prayers. She drew down life, praying for her children, even praying for Rachel to have Yosef. That was Leah's prayers, not Yakov's. It was Leah's prayers. So women have this, this is like given to women to draw life into the world physically by giving birth to children but also with the words in prayer to pray for those the souls to come down and to be holy righteous children so this is the positive side of speech now another thing that I want to talk about a little bit is and we talked about this some last week with the sin of the spies but here it's very, very pronounced. Where Korach says to the people, or says to Moshe, we're all holy. Well, this is true. That's true. But what he was saying was, we're all the same. This is something that you see in, like, the United States. This is real big. Like, everyone is created the same. All men created equal. Well, that's just not really true. All people are not the same. However, all people are unique. We're not all the same. We're each one of us unique. Each one of us is created unique. That my, the, what I am here to do, you can't do. What you're here to do, I can't do. Only each one of us can fill the place that Hashem created for us to do that each of us has that certain job description, if you will, and we have the gifts that is necessary. Now, this is where we talked about it last week with the spies and jealousy. And here with Korok it's very pronounced. The damage of jealousy. How unnecessary it is, and what a waste of energy it is for us to be jealous of someone else. Because if we're wasting our time being jealous of someone else we're not looking at what is the fullness of my potential. What is the reason I'm in the world? What am I supposed to do? And this is what Moshe was trying to say to Korah. He was saying to him isn't it enough that you and your family are bearing the ark of God? Isn't that enough for you? That you want something else? You're not happy bearing the the ark and the altar the, the showbread table You're not happy bearing these things This was a tremendous tremendous function in the house of Israel Not anybody could do that Only they could do that And not any Levite could do it Only the family of Kohat could do it This one family And that was it They were the ones chosen to do that. And the same is true for us. Hashem puts each of us into that place that we are chosen to fill. He gives each of us a job to do in the world and He brings to us opportunities. He brings to us um, situations that help us to fill that place that we're supposed to fill in the world no one else can do it no one can do it but you what you're supposed to do only you can do so Moshe is trying to say to Korach find satisfaction in what you were given to do in what Hashem chose you to do your family to do find not just satisfaction but joy Find fulfillment in your job. Don't be looking at Aaron and wanting his job. And not only that, when a person does this, when a person looks at someone else and he's jealous, what else is he saying? He's saying, I don't agree with what Hashem did, how he chose and what he decided. I want that job. I don't want my job. I don't like my job but if you're doing that you're not filling your place well and so your place is is deficient you know in the, the last of the Ten Commandments it says you shall not covet now when you first read that it doesn't look like such a big deal I mean not coveting not wanting what someone else has well it is a big deal because it leads to other sins and dissatisfaction with your place, with your house, with your spouse. The first thing it says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Why? Because in the court of heaven, Hashem decides who is going to be married to who. You're casting a doubt, not just a doubt, but a dissatisfaction, and you're casting a doubt on Hashem's ability to make that choice for another person and for yourself. You're saying, I'm not happy with what I have, I want what he has. And so you're casting a doubt on this. In uh, Tractate Nida, it talks about how the soul comes into the world. And how Hashem holds that soul before the throne of of heaven and he said, you're going to come into the world in this body. You're going to be this sex, male or female. You're going to have this, these features. You're going to mar- be married to this person. You're going to be rich or poor. All of the things that that person's soul needs in order to be able to function in the way that is his destiny." including who he's married to so the first thing that we're told do not covet do not covet your neighbor's wife do not covet your neighbor's house do not covet your neighbor's belongings because those are the things that your neighbor needed to do his function in the world not you and if you're busy coveting his his things you're not satisfied with your own and you're not seeing how Hashem has given you everything you need to fulfill your function in the world see we say thank you Hashem who provides my every need thank you to Hashem and this is one of the best ways for us to get out of that if you if you find yourself in that rut of dissatisfaction of looking at the other guy and saying oh I wish I had what he has and I'm not satisfied with what I have then the best way to get out of it is through thankfulness. By every day thanking Hashem for what you have. And do you know who personifies this? Who personifies this is Aaron, the high priest. Because he is the one who would bring the sacrifices for thanksgiving. He is the one. So we see two opposite Examples here. We see Aaron really not saying a whole lot. Then we see Korah saying a lot. Very unhappy. He's very dissatisfied. Who is he really dissatisfied with? He's jealous of Aaron. He's jealous of Moshe. Who is he really unhappy with? Ultimately, he's really unhappy with Hashem because it was Hashem's choice that he is disputing and this is the most extreme example of where that ends where it ends is in the pit what a waste Korach was a very gifted person he was a very talented man what a waste that he ended up in the pit literally thrown away because of his dissatisfaction that caused him to rebel against Moshe against Aaron but ultimately against Hashem that's at the very heart of the commandment against coveting that's the danger of jealousy so before we go any further I want us to stop there in case anybody has a comment or a question does anybody have a comment or question on this subject? are there any good forms of coveting? well the example that we're given is all negative and so I would have to think about that. Uh,
1: okay, I'm going to let Angel speak. Oh, thank you very much. Sorry about that. You know, I this was I'm really, really glad that I came in here this evening. Um, everything that you said, Miriam, has rung so true for me. I think that part of the things that we need to do is to recognize what is unique about each of us and what is the gift that we have. And I don't mean that in a pat-myself-on-the-back way because really it makes us humble to think of the gift that we have. Oh, and I do appreciate my gift. I have been given some wonderful, wonderful gifts. And when you talk about coveting and wishing for what other people had. I had to type in the text, be careful what you wish for, you just may get it. And um, there's a lesson to be learned in that. And I don't think there's anything, you're right, Edward, we do have a special mission. And it allows us to put our head down on the pillow at night and say, did we do a good job for Hashem that day? I just wanted to thank you again, Miriam. This was really apropos for me, um, considering that we just came through a little flood here, and we've all been evacuated. And I got a chance to use my special gifts, and I'm very grateful that I had them. Thank you. Oh,
0: thank you for that, Angel. Um, You were in a flood? Where was that?
1: Well, I'm in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania, where you would think there was no flooding. But my cottage is located between two creeks, and the levee on our creek in the back of the house gave away. I was fine. Four of my neighbors lost their homes, everything in it. Um, They just washed. We didn't have a creek. We ended up with a river. And for three days, we were out of our homes. We were evacuated, and we were in a shelter. But I'm the shelter manager because I'm a Red Cross volunteer, and you know there's something to be said for using our gifts, and sometimes I think that it's not it's not that we're altruistic. It's almost a selfishness because it makes me feel good when I use the gifts that I've been given. And I'm just grateful that we've only well, I'm going to say we've only lost two lives. We did lose two lives. It could have been much worse. But we have a lot to be grateful for.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Angel. And um, about what you were saying about where it makes us feel good, the thing is, is when we use our gifts, it helps other people, yes, but it also helps us. It conforms our souls to be what Hashem wants us to be. And so it... you it's not a bad thing that you get a good feeling from using your gifts. You're supposed to use your gifts and I mean we could look at it in a like like sometimes we're tempted to think that maybe it's being selfish like um, or we're being too modest overly modest. We shouldn't do that. The positive side though of using our gifts is that it helps another person like a person who is a healer will help that other person. But without fail, that person who is a healer or a person who is a teacher. When I'm teaching these classes, I'm learning as well. And so I, my soul is built up. When I teach this class and when I hear, get the feedback from you, from all of you, it, it builds my soul. And it's a tremendous blessing to me. And so it's a, it's a two-way street. And if it's not a two way street, then there's something wrong because this is part of the reason that Hashem, that we're in the world in the first place, that we're supposed to be conforming our souls. So let's go on with the, with the Parsha. Now remember that. the people had already were already experiencing this yearly death because of the sin of the spies that they would have to dig their graves and lie down in the grave and wait for the for death to come so they're already experiencing this then comes this earthquake and the earth opens and these guys fall in and then this fire comes so this is another plague now we're on the 17th chapter and the fire is coming down on the people. in Hashem, the death angel, is coming, has come. Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, "Say to Eleazar, son of Aaron, the Kohan, and let him pick up the fire pans from amid the fire, and he should throw away the flame, for they have become holy. As for the fire pans, these sinners against their souls, they shall make them hammered-out sheaths as a covering for the altar." for they offered them before Hashem, so they became holy. They shall be a sign for the children of Israel. Elazar the Kohen took the copper firepans that it consumed ones, the consumed ones had offered and hammered them out as a covering for the altar, as a reminder to the children of Israel, so that no alien who is not of the offspring of Aaron, now that's no alien means no one who is not of the offspring of Aaron, shall draw near to bring up the smoke of incense before Hashem that he not be like Korach in his assembly as Hashem spoke about him through Moshe. The entire assembly of the children of Israel complained on the morrow against Moshe and Aaron saying you have killed the people of Hashem. Now they had come and they had watched this. They had stood back and watched. They did not say no this isn't true you can't speak against Moshe like this they stood back to watch what's going to happen now they have it all turned around and they're saying Moshe you killed them and why? because they're thinking you knew that the incense would cause death because of Avihu and Nadav so they're thinking of that and they're saying you knew that so you're the one who chose this as the test in order to kill them and there they made a mistake because it wasn't Moshe who chose it and it was when the assembly gathered against Moshe and Aaron they turned to the tent of the meeting and behold the cloud had covered it and the glory of Hashem appeared Moshe and Aaron came before the tent of the meeting Hashem spoke to Moshe saying remove yourselves from among the assembly and I shall destroy them in an instant. They fell on their faces. Now before Moshe is saying destroy them in a way that is extraordinary. Talking about Korah. But here Hashem is ready to destroy the people of Israel because they are twisting everything around and blaming Moshe. Now remember when, when Miriam spoke against Moshe she became leprous. When Korach spoke against Moshe, the earth opened and swallowed him, him and Datan and Aviram. And, uh, ta- so here is the whole people of Israel again doing this, and Moshe falls on his face and pleads to, for them not to, for Hashem not to do this. And Moshe said to Aaron, take the fire pan put on it fire from upon the altar and place incense and go quickly to the assembly and provide atonement for them for the fury has gone out from the presence of Hashem the plague has begun now here he's telling Aaron to do the very thing that Aaron's two sons have died for and now 250 men have died for by taking the incense out of the sanctuary and going out with it and using it for a different way but Moshe knows what he's talking about because when he was in heaven not only did he see Hashem writing the 13 attributes of mercy to give him the words to pray for the people of Israel also he was given the secret by the angels of the incense of the temple how important this was to turn back the angel of death but Aaron even though he understands that people have died because of this Aaron goes ahead and he does what Moshe says. Aaron took as Moshe had spoken and ran to the midst of the congregation and behold the plague had begun among the people he placed the incense and provided atonement for the people he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was checked those who died in the plague were 14,700 aside from those who died because of the affair of Korah. So beside the 250, there were were 14,700. Aaron returned to Moshe at the entrance of the tent of the assembly and the plague was checked. So Aaron faced the death angel who had come to destroy and he turned it back. Oh, the incense the, um, is opening the gates of mercy. And this is the function of the priest to light the incense in the temple he turns he opens the gates of mercy high in heaven so that the death angel was turned back Hashem spoke to Moshe saying speak to the children of Israel and take from them one staff for each father's house from all their leaders according to their father's house 12 staffs. Each man's name shall you inscribe on the staff, and the name of Aaron shall you inscribe on the staff of Levi, for there shall be one staff for the head of their father's house. You shall lay them in the tent of meeting before the testimony, where I meet with you. And it shall be that the man whom I shall choose, his staff will blossom. Thus I shall cause to subside from Upon me the complaints of the children of Israel, which they complain against you. So the people he wanted once and for all for them to understand that it was Hashem who chose Aaron to be the high priest. So this was a the test. There was a test after this whole thing with Korah. Here was an ultimate test with these staffs. Moshe spoke to the children of Israel And all their leaders gave him a staff for each leader. A staff for each each leader according to their father's house, twelve staffs. And Aaron's staff was among their staffs. Moshe laid the staffs before Hashem in the tent of the testimony. On the next day Moshe came to the tent of testimony and behold, the staff of Aaron of the house of Levi had blossomed it brought forth a blossom sprouted a bud and almonds ripened now this was a miracle because on an almond tree when the almonds come like all fruit the blossoms fall off but here it still had blossoms and it had ripened almonds Moshe brought out all the staffs from before Hashem to all the children of Israel they saw and they took each man his staff Hashem said to Moshe bring back the staff of Aaron before the testimony as a safekeeping, as a sign for rebellious ones let their complaint cease from me that they not die Moshe did as Hashem commanded him so he did the children of Israel said to Moshe behold we perish we are lost we are all lost everyone who approaches closer to the tabernacle of Hashem will die will we ever stop perishing so here they are they are feeling despondent again because of all this death that has happened even though there was a miracle to turn it back there was, they were still despondent now let's go back for a moment and Hashem said to save the staff of Moshe I mean of Aaron Sorry, for a testimony and where is that staff Where did they save it? In the Ark. That's exactly right. They had a pot of the mon, and they had the staff of Aaron in the the Ark, and the broken tablets. No, the tablets, right. The tablets of the uh, Ten Commandments. Not the broken tablets. The tablets of the Ten Commandments. Now, when we were talking about um, how Hashem chooses each one to be in his place every so often there would be times in history where somebody wanted to fill a place that was not his to fill like the Hashmanim kings they were Levites and they became kings of Israel it was not supposed to happen I mean for a short period of time but then they weren't supposed to usurp the kingship from Judah. Then, on the other hand, there was a king who was a descendant of David, and he wanted to offer incense in the temple. Uzziahu. It's in the in the book of Kings, but it's also talked about. The very beginning of the book of Isaiah talks about in the days of Uzziahu. That was the king when Isaiah first started to prophesy well in the book of kings it talks about him how he insisted he wanted to offer incense in the temple and the priest said no don't do it whatever, don't do it but he insisted and he was the king and his logic was Hashem is the king of the universe it would honor him for a king to give incense to offer incense in his estimation he was higher than this priest that had been chosen by Hashem for this job So it would honor Hashem more, if it were the king who would do it. And he became leprous. Leprosy broke out on his forehead. So each time that somebody stepped out of his destiny, out of his destined place, bad things happened. They happened to him and they happened to the people. So Hashem now is going to... um, Reiterate what are the duties of the priest? This is in the eighteenth chapter. Hashem said to Aaron, You, your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. Also your brethren, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, shall you draw near you, and you shall be join, and shall be joined to you and minister to you you and your sons with you shall be before the tent of the testimony they shall safeguard your charge and the charge of the entire tent but to the holy vessels and to the altar they shall not approach that they not die they as well as you they shall be joined to you and safeguard safeguard the charge the tent of the meeting for the entire service of the tent and an alien shall not approach you you shall safeguard the charge of the holy and the charge of the altar, and there shall be no more wrath against the children of Israel. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are presented as a gift for Hashem to perform the service of the tent of the meeting. You and your sons with you shall safeguard your priesthood regarding every matter of the altar and within the curtain and you shall serve I have presented your priesthood as a service that is a gift and any alien who approaches shall die so he makes it very very clear that only the descendants of Aaron are supposed to be the priests and the Levites are also supposed to guard the tabernacle that's why the camp of the Levites was around the tabernacle and then the camp of the tribes was around the camp of the Levites because the Levites protected or guarded um, the tabernacle Hashem spoke to Aaron and I behold I have given you the safeguard of my heave offerings of all the sanctities of the children of Israel I give them to you for distinction and to your sons as an eternal portion. This shall be yours from the most holy, from the fire. Their every offering, their every meal offering, their every sin offering, their every guilt offering, that which they return to me as most holy, it shall be yours and your sons. In the most holy shall you eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy for you and this shall be yours What is set aside from their gift, from all the wavings of the children of Israel, have I presented them to you, and to your sons and daughters with you, as an eternal portion. Every pure person in your household may eat it, all the best of your oil and the best of your wine and grain, their first, which they give to Hashem, to you have I given them the first fruits of everything that is in their land which they bring to Hashem shall be yours every pure person in your household may eat it every segregated property in Israel shall be yours so he makes a stipulation here about the people who um, are able to eat of these sacrifices have to be pure they have to be ritually pure and we've talked about what that meant. That meant that they could not have been exposed to the dead. You know, it was ritually pure for the Koanim, for the priest. Every first issue of a womb, of any flesh that they offer to Hashem, whether man or beast, shall be yours. But you shall surely redeem the firstborn of man, and the firstborn of an impure beast shall you redeem. Those that are to be redeemed from one month shall be shall you redeem, according to the valuation five silver shekel. By the sacred shekel is twenty gerah. Now this is a ceremony that we do for a firstborn male, the firstborn of his mother. That means that she has never had any children before this boy is born, and then he is redeemed when he is five. No, I'm sorry. When he is one month old with five silver shekel. And this is done, this is always done throughout all of the ages with the Jewish people. It's done now also. So first, when he's eight days old, there is the Brit Milah, the circumcision. And then when he's one month old, there's a ceremony of redeeming the firstborn where the father gives five shekel or five silver coins in America. I think it would have to be another, um, it would have to be something else. It would be silver coins to a Kohen. And it's a ceremony, like I said. And it doesn't happen all that often that we have this, but because there's a lot to it, that he has to be the very first child male, and then he has to be male, born to the mother. Not the father, the mother. But the firstborn of an ox, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. Their blood shall you throw upon the altar, and their fat shall you cause to go up in smoke, a fire offering, a satisfying aroma to Hashem. Their flesh Shall be yours like the breast of the waving and the right thigh shall be yours. So, in other words, as we said above here, an unclean animal like a donkey or a, an ah, uh, they would be redeemed. Horse, that would be redeemed. But of a pure animal, of a clean animal, a kosher animal, in other words, an animal that we can eat they would not, the firstborn would not be redeemed, he would be offered as a sacrifice in the temple and the Kohenim are given the meat the sections of the meat everything that is set aside from the sanctities that the children of Israel raise up to Hashem have I given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an eternal portion it is an eternal salt like covenant before Hashem For you and your offspring with you. Now, of course, as I said before about the um, that we redeem the firstborn of our sons, our human sons, we do that now. But when we don't have a temple, we can't make the sacrifices. I just, you know, we have to be clear on that. It is forbidden for us to make any sacrifices outside of um, the temple and so since we don't have a temple we're forbidden to sacrifice however that's for the Jewish people and don't ask me any details on this but from what I understand from the rabbis Bene Noach are permitted to make sacrifices I don't know any details but that's what I understand is that B'nai Noach are permitted to make sacrifices although your neighbors might think you're a little bit strange but Jewish people are not permitted to without anywhere except for the temple in Jerusalem and since we don't have a temple in Jerusalem we're not permitted to make a sacrifice Hashem said to Aaron in their land you shall have no heritage and a share shall you not have among them I am your share and your heritage among the children of Israel so the sons of Aaron and the sons of Levi are not given land, portions of land like the tribes. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given every tenth in Israel as a heritage in exchange for the service that they perform. The service of the tent of the meeting so that the children of Israel shall not again approach the tent of the meeting to bear a sin to die the Levite himself shall perform the service of the tent of the meeting and they shall bear their iniquity an eternal decree for your generation and among the children of Israel they shall not inherit a heritage for the tithe of the children of Israel that they raise up to Hashem as a gift have I given to the Levites as a heritage therefore have I said to them among the children of Israel they shall not inherit a heritage Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, To the Levites shall you speak, and you shall say to them, When you accept from the children of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them as your heritage, you shall raise from it a gift to Hashem, a tithe from a tithe. So even though a person would be the recipient of a tithe, in that he was supposed to tithe. Your tithes shall be reckoned for you like grain from the threshing floor and like the ripeness of the vat. So shall you too raise up the gift of Hashem from all your tithes that you accept from the children of Israel. And you shall give from it a gift to Hashem, of Hashem to Aaron the Kohen. From all your gifts you shall raise up every gift of Hashem from all its best parts, its sacred part from it. And you shall say to them, when you have raised up its best from it you shall be considered from the, for the Levites like the produce of the threshing floor and the produce of the vat you may eat it anywhere everywhere you and your household for it is a wage for you in exchange for your service in the tent of the meeting you shall not bear a sin because of it when you raise up its best from you and the sanctities of the children of Israel you shall not desecrate so that you shall not die so the very last part after we have gone through this whole thing with Aaron's position being um, challenged is that he reiterates what is Aaron's position what is his duty what is the duty of the Kohen and then how they're, what they are supposed to receive if you have a girl first is the first son considered a firstborn no that's what I was saying before if it is the first first child born of the mother it has to be a boy in order to be redeemed like this that's why I say it doesn't usually it doesn't happen all that often because it it has to be a boy if she's had a girl first then she doesn't have a firstborn son I mean her firstborn isn't a son she can have a first son but that wasn't the first child so does anybody have any questions about this Parsha this is a very intense Parsha very intense story Would somebody like to come to the mic and just speak to us? That's true, Chesed. The Torah is not a book of suggestions. One of my friends said, a law without penalty or a law without consequence was just be good advice. And the Torah is not a book of good advice. It is a book that is full of consequence it tells us exactly what you know it tells us about life it tells us what will happen to us if we do right and if we do wrong tells us that there is a consequence for our actions that we can't think that we can just do whatever we want and get away with it that there's always a reckoning this is a promise from Hashem there's always a reckoning no one gets away with anything it's very sobering to think about that that way okay again I'm going to encourage everybody to go to the website of Noahide Nations and check out the joining the community, joining Noahide Nations. Um, a year's membership is about $40 rounded up. And, um, and if you join for a year's membership, you can get for your family, for your whole family, you get um, things from the store, you get books from the store at a reduced price and also you can get a a family membership you can get one free class enrollment in one free class which is about 13 week sessions so um, it's worth it to check that out and see see what there is there go through the website and, and see what there is to offer um, if you look down here we're talking about um, having a homeschool program I'm very excited about the possibilities of this. I don't know how that's going to actually uh, unfold, but I think that there's a lot of potential for a homeschool program so that the children can learn Torah as part of their homeschooling and having some kind of online classes, they would be able to be in touch with other children, Noahide children, who are, right, we're going to have our own room but they could be in touch with other Noahide children and realize that they're not the only ones in the world. And we're looking at how can we build community, how can we instruct, how can we, how can we um, infuse these ideas into our next generation so that there will be a strong Noahide community as these children grow up. I mean, think about how much this can really change the world I was actually in the Young Torah class on Sunday, and i I think it's I think it's really wonderful. Um, I'm glad that your daughter is in that class with Adam. Adam's doing a wonderful job. It's a completely different way of of seeing, as you know, of seeing the world, of learning Torah on a no, on a new level. And so I'm very I'm very happy about this very excited about the possibilities of this and um, I don't know if you're scrolling down with me but um, there's a new book out by Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsberg on the Noahide laws about uh, Kabbalah and meditation for the nations And this was something also very interesting, very exciting, that he had said from the courts of heaven, believe me, this man is is phenomenal, that permission has been given now to teach these secrets to the people of the nations. It had been closed for so many centuries, and now it is open for people of the nations to learn so this book by Rabbi Ginsberg and I don't know if you can see the cover of the book but it's really beautiful how there's a prism where the white light of Hashem comes through this prism and then then flows down into the world in the seven colors of the rainbow it's really a beautiful color a cover of the book so I really encourage you to check into the website look through it and see what where you might fit where you might want to be a volunteer or what you might want to do and be a part of the community of the Noahide Nation so if there's nothing does anybody have anything else to say Well, if there is nothing else I'm going to close the class and I really thank you so much for joining me tonight and um, I will be seeing you next week I don't know exactly when we're going to be going into the classroom we've kind of delayed that a little bit Um, but I will be seeing you next week as it stands right now so thank you for joining me and I look forward to seeing you all next week